Hey, good evening, Internet peoples. Uh, tonight, we're bringing you a very special episode, episode number 40 of Kenter at Your Own Risk with Kent and Kevin and Chris. Uh, tonight, we will be discussing in depth, or maybe not all the way in depth, the entire Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, maybe going into some of the documentaries around it. I don't know. We'll see how long it takes. But going through the original Nightmare on Elm Street, the whole main series, New Nightmare, Freddy versus Jason, and then the reboot. Um, so quickly, before we get to that, how are you guys doing? Kent, I just want to say I got the gift you sent me the other day. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And it's always a pleasure to do these things with you, man. You're welcome. Uh, okay, so, I mean, in full disclosure, I, I I was looking for something completely different, and it, all of a sudden, you know, like when you're on Amazon, you get those, like, things you may like, and also I'm like, oh, there's a dragon-shaped coaster set. That seems kind of cool. I ha- Like, is it decent quality? Like, it looked okay from the pictures, but you can never quite tell. Oh, it's nice, man. And my wife was laughing. She's like, you never use coasters? I'm like, well, I never had a coaster set before. That's right. <laughs> I've, I've used it every day since since I got it. So Wonderful. there you go. All right. I, and, you know, I just feel like saying, since I know her name will get brought up later on, I, I missed out on a night of playing The Quarry starring Lynn Shay to do this podcast. So missing Lynn Shay to do something else with Lynn Shay. It feels appropriate. For me. Several lynches. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my update. Kevin, how about you? How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. Thanks again for having me. This has been uh, a long two weeks of uh, new ni- uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. And like I was telling these guys before we started, the, the most amazing thing is I haven't had a single nightmare about Freddy <laughs> in the whole thing, uh, rewatching all of these you know, probably when I was a kid, outside of facehuggers, he was the most uh, person likely to show up in my nightmares. I don't... Really? Uh, you know, I never watched the movies when I was young. So it was always, you know, that kind of thing where, like, you know what he is, you've seen him, you know. But uh, you you always make shit up worse for yourself than it actually yeah. is, you know. So... You know, theater of the mind. Exactly. Right there, you know, like, he was way more smart and cunning and sadistic in my dreams than he was in any of these movies. Yeah, that, that seems fair. I haven't had a Freddy nightmare in maybe since, like, my teenage years or something. And even then, they were usually more funny Freddy. Like, yeah, he's still a dick, but he's also kind of made me laugh. So I was okay with it, I guess. You remember when we had the cookie club at... Price Chopper, you know, you'd get that cookie. Yeah, I had a dream where he put, you know, his razor blades inside the free cookie he gave me. As a yeah, that bastard. Those cookies were great. They were too. (laughs) Kevin, did you use getting on the Cookie Club? No, no, I don't. Oh, I think I know the Cookie Club, but you you could go to the bakery in Price Chopper and they'd give you a free cookie on your birthday. Oh, yeah, no. Well, I've had a nightmare from Freddy since I was like probably like 12 or so. Like when I saw Freddy, like I don't remember the first time that like I saw a nightmare on Elm Street, but not to jump ahead, but I believed in Santa Claus like 
when Freddy Krueger you know, came into my peripheral. So he was very scary as a child. Uh, so out of curiosity, just a question for both of you. Which one was your first Nightmare on Elm Street? Did you guys see the first one as your first nightmare? Because for me, it was Nightmare 3. My my whole first Nightmare on Elm Street was a fucking great day. I was 18, and I remember I went to the... It was it was like a, just a, one of the scariest days in my life in regards to, like, shit I watched. Um, you know, before I had it spoiled for me, I remember I went to the theater in the afternoon with my mom and we saw the sixth sense. And so, you know, you know, the sixth sense now, you know, it's like fucking nothing, but you know, the way they were advertising it and playing it up, you know, before everybody knew what the fucking secret, you know, the twist was, uh, you know, they, they tried to sell it as like a horror movie. Um, and then I came back back and I don't remember who I went with because Jay was at home watching movies with somebody else. Maybe it was Eric, but I went with somebody and we saw like two hours later, I saw the Blair Witch Project. Uh, and that hadn't been spoiled for me yet either. And then as I was getting home from the Blair Witch Project, Jay and whoever were, were hanging out at my house were watching and A Nightmare on Elm Street was just starting, and I just sat down and watched that, and I was just scared as shit by the time I went to bed between the Blair Witch Project and then Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time. <laughs> That's a hell of a day. And a day you can't ever really recreate, because avoiding spoilers is next to impossible now. It, I, I don't even try if it's something I'm interested in. Unless, like, there, there are a couple book series I read, you know, I'll completely avoid spoilers for them, because... I read fast enough that, like, the day that it comes out, I'm done with the book. But outside of that, yeah, I don't try. Yeah, fair enough. Kevin, do you remember your first Nightmare on Elm Street experience? I think it was uh, Freddy's Revenge. And I watched it. Uh, my cousin Tim had it on Betamax. And I knew who Freddy Krueger was at that time. So, And this was around the time... Because I remember watching The Last Boy Scout. So this was like 92, 91 or 92. So I was around like 10 years old um, when, when I saw it. I might have been a little bit younger, but he had, my cousin Tim had, well, his dad, my uncle Ken, had all of these um, Betamax tapes. And that one I remember most of. And the only reason I remember that it is because it has that opening bus scene. And riding the bus was, you know, I was on the bus for like an hour, like on my way home from school every day. So that was some, some real shit for me. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I could imagine. Yeah. Fantastic. So you said yours, your first one was three, Kent? Yeah. My, my neighbor across the street, he was, gosh, he had at least five years on me. So. I don't know, I think I was like nine, and he was, you know, in his early, maybe even like mid-teens probably. So, like, he had his porn mag stash, and he was into horror. So, like, when his mom wasn't home, he'd have me come over and, you know, show me shit. So, uh, one day he happened to just show me Nightmare on Elm Street 3, and, you know, I'd heard the hype. It was just one of those things that, uh, 
My mom never bothered to rep for me. I don't know why she had her choice in horror to rep for me, and that just wasn't on the list. So I got to see it, and I was just absolutely hooked after that. So uh, it was truly love at first sight from a from a movie perspective. So. All right. Um, well, let's get right into it. Um, so we're just going to go chronologically, right? I think that makes the most sense. Okay, so we'll start off with the original Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984. Um, you know, like like I said, the original time I saw this was in nine would have been 1998 because I was 18. Um, I watched it a couple years within the last couple of years. When whenever we did the last one where we talked about it, I don't remember which particular podcast it was that we, we spoke about it, Kent? Oh, gosh. It probably been a good year ago, I would guess. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, I, I had watched it recently, but not, you know, within the last couple months or maybe, I don't know, whatever it was. Hell, um, I just watched all of this on, in October, so I just rewatched it all again, what, three months later? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So one of the things that really sticks with me for this movie is, for the most part, how subtle it is compared to a lot of other um, horror movies. You know, it's you have what three and a half kills in the entire movie. Uh, gosh, yes, three and a half sounds exactly on point. Well, because. You know, depending upon which version you you watch, it's hard to figure out what exactly happens with the mother at the end. Yeah, Yeah. that's open for... Actually, a lot of it's open to interpretation, I guess. But yes, I would would agree with three and a half if I had to throw out a number. So, I mean, compare that to, like, the beginning of The Collection, where you literally have, what, like, 120 people just getting murked by one trap that the dude sets up? Or the beginning of something like Ghost Ghost Ship? Ship. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it pales a little bit in comparison, uh, which, you know, it's kind of funny because, okay, so we just recently had Friday the 13th, and or, yeah, Friday the 13th, and I binge-watched three through nine uh, in two days, and, you know, each one of those movies has, we'll say, close to, like, ten kills per movie. Nightmare on Elm Street was typically, like, about half of that, or even less than half that. Like, it wasn't... Uh, kill quantity wasn't the thing, it was kill quality. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to bring up, which is is going to be a reoccurring theme throughout the whole thing, but I did not remember how fucking clumsy Freddy Krueger is as a fucking, you know, killer. Like, with the exception of Ghostface, he's probably the fucking clumsiest, like, slasher killer <laughs> out there. Like, if somebody threw a cardboard box or a pallet or a trash can or a dirty hamper of laundry, I mean, like, he was tripping over that fucking shit. It's yeah. a shame that there's not a video on YouTube of Freddy or Ghostface getting, you know, fought off and, like, yakety sax playing in the background. That That's really what I need. I mean, I, I really... Those... Those were two of the things that really stuck out with me to watch this first one. And, like, the second, you know, as I went through, I was like, holy shit, he is fucking 
clumsy as fuck over the, you know, I, he seemed much more menacing in my memory. You know, like we, we were just talking about before, then he actually is in a lot of the scenes in the movies until, you know, they decide that he's going to go in for the kill. Um, but in case you've you've never seen it before, um, teenagers who live on a street called Elm Street in, is it Springfield? Springwood. Is it Ohio? Sp- Springwood. Springwood. Ohio. And uh, when do we actually find out it's Ohio? Oh gosh! It's, uh, it's, it's I know we find yeah. definitely know that in six, but do we find out before then? Oh, it's a really good question. It's one uh, of those things I just feel like I just know. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, I mean, they they talk about it in documentaries, but I mean by then it's a documentary. I I don't know, but you specifically see in Freddy's Dead, you see it on the map. Whether they yeah. say Ohio. Prior to that, I don't really know. I kind of think there was one of, like I mentioned, maybe in three or three or five, something like yeah. on the radio, right? Yeah, something like that. I, yeah, I could see that. Or, or in maybe one of the newspaper articles, like when they were researching Amanda in five. That would also make some sense. Uh, anyways, these teens are having a dream of this guy with a gloved clawed hand um he's all burnt up and he wears a green and red sweater with a brown hat uh and he goes around and he kills them in their dreams and when they die in their dreams they're dead in real life um i mean that's the basic gist of the whole thing uh sometimes we find out his backstory that freddie uh was a child murderer uh Later on, they recap it to change it to being a child molester, um, just in the remake. Uh, sometimes he was a janitor at the school. Sometimes he was he worked in a nearby power plant. Sometimes he was a gardener. I don't know why there's all the discrepancies within the main series. Probably because of the uh, fact that we had different directors, and I think... Different I writers. Think they all are written by correct? someone different. Uh, outside of the, you know, yes. written and directed by Wes Craven ones. Yeah. Original. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I'd kind of forgotten the, the whole power plant thing. I always, you know, I, I in my mind, I liked this thing. He was the school, worked in the school, and had access to the boiler room. So I, in my mind, Freddy's always just going to be a school janitor. That, that's just my take on it. That's, that's what I remember. I didn't remember any of the you know the the little changes like that but you know to be fair uh for the power plant it had been a long time like years and years and years since i had seen two um sure. robert england of course in all of them except for the reboot played freddy krueger and it's i would say he's probably if not number one then within the top two two or three most iconic horror icons in the entire genre of horror films. I feel that's a podcast coming and I already made my list. That would be a cool one. And yes, Freddy is my number one because, you know, some people can relate better to Jason. They're like the strong silent type. Some people like Michael for some lame ass reason. I'll never quite understand it. And some people prefer a little bit of comedy and sadistic nature. And 
then you know every once in a while you'll get somebody else that has you know younger people especially they don't have the same sentimental attachment that you know we do yeah i mean um i would i would hesitate to say that's exactly the same but uh, i mean between his look the the glove and the the nursery rhyme uh, i mean all of that really i think serves to cement him in the top i mean i I don't think anybody could argue that the top three are probably Freddie, Jason, and Michael. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think if if you did like a poll of a thousand people, that those would be your top three. You know, Pinhead. some votes for Chucky, some votes for Ghostface, maybe yeah. Pinhead. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot. Of I mean, those I mean, you probably have individuals who are more, you know, like iconic and but they've been portrayed in so many, like Dracula. How many different ways has Dracula been portrayed, you know, within the movies from Bela Lugosi to Christopher Lee to Gary Oldman to Gerard Butler to, you know, Nicolas Cage coming up? I mean, you know, there's so many different, there's, there's no one like iconic version of Dracula. Frankenstein's probably a little closer, but I don't, Frankenstein, how many people are really scared of Frankenstein's monster? Yeah, I mean, now right. compared to, you know, Back when it was a re- released in the 1920s. Yeah. I'll, so. I'll toss another name out there that's always going to be on a top ten. Like, if you don't make, if this person doesn't make your top ten, I don't trust your p- opinion. And that'd be Jack Torrance. I, I feel like he's a mandatory top ten horror icon. Uh, I mean, I, I think he's important, but he's literally, you know, one movie. Do you know what I mean? Sure. But yeah. in the horror genre, if you say quality of film, it's arguably of one of the highest quality films. So I, I think he – plus everybody just kind of knows his shit. That, I, I think yeah, the but, quality, uh, but I think if, everybody knows his I think if you, if you asked kids today who would never watch yeah, The Shining, shit. you right. know, what, here's – you know, right. where it came from, they'd be like, I don't fucking know. I mean, even though everybody – knows that as a reference from so many, you know, takeoffs on it. I, I guess that's also kind of important is the amount of times it's been like copied or parodied or, or whatever. But you're like, once again, we are getting to this age where, you know, we do kind of take it for granted that, you know, there are, you know, teenagers that straight up, they don't even know who the fuck Leprechaun is perhaps. <laughs> Lucky charms. What's <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's very confusing. I mean, they wouldn't have known who the fuck Chucky was until, you know, they had the reboot a few years ago, and now they got the TV series, but, you know, Child's Play was kind of, not dormant, but it was quiet for a long time. So, yeah, there's a there's a whole generation that I have no idea who they even are into nowadays. Uh, hopefully they gravitated towards the new Candyman. I enjoyed that film, but you know they may not have. I, I assume Ghostface might still be popular, but I have no idea. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, um, it's a not as popular as like Halloween is because of that new series. Because oh, yeah. that's the movie. Like teenagers go like that movie did really well, and so did the new Scream. But like Halloween Ends did did really well financially. Um, and I, all three of them did, and that's that's pretty impressive. And Jason's on the verge of making a comeback when that series hits on Peacock. I think it's getting getting put on. 
the Crystal Lake. Oh, Crystal Lake, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he'll make a comeback, so it's only time. Time will tell, but I'm sure we are getting way off topic already. We're doing great. Anyways, um, yeah, I mean, I don't, we, we've gone into this one before. I, I mean, we should probably get Kevin's opinions, but, you know, it's probably early, early appearance, <laughs> if not his first appearance by Johnny Depp in a movie. Um, again, Robert's, Robert Englund killed it as Freddy. Um, John Saxon, I, I always love seeing him ever since I saw, you know, enter the dragon and realized he was, you know, a disciple of Bruce Lee, <laughs> um, to circle back to what we were talking about earlier. Uh, Lynn Shea is one of the teachers in the high school in this, uh, in this first one. Um, Heather Langenkamp, uh, she didn't at least... I haven't seen a ton of shit that she did, but she's having kind of a resurgence lately. Um, well, she, she was, was in with, Shocker. <laughs> with, um, Dude, she, she, she was, did, she was in Shocker. She was in Shocker. Yeah. It wasn't a very big part, but yeah, she was in Shocker. She did the, that, um, series for Mike Flanagan before he got signed over to Amazon from Netflix. Um, the midnight club. Mid- midnight. Yeah. And it was kind of cool. Cause like, um, the kids were telling, you know, ghost stories to kind of like pass the time while they're dying. And, uh, she was a different character in each one of the stories besides also being the head administrator and nurse of the uh, hospice that they're in. So she got to play like 10 different characters over the course of the series. That's cool. I, I, I mean, I've always liked her. It's just, you know, she, she, I don't know if she got typecast or whatever. I mean, most horror scream queens tend to get typecast. So, but I, I don't know if I ever. Here's a question: Did either of you guys ever consider her to be a scream queen? Because I I never did. Uh, I didn't really because a like I said I hadn't seen her in enough stuff. But you know, uh, because it was so long between when I watched like the whole series, um, yeah, I completely forgot that she was in three. You know. I remember that she was in New Nightmare because that was one of the ones that I don't. Did we do that for the blog? I mean, before we started doing the podcast. Yeah, we did. Yeah, so that was a while back. But um, yes, I remember that she was in the remake of that. But uh, I don't. I mean, I think there's like typecast partially, you know, especially in the '80s, and then there were a lot of people who weren't necessarily picked for their acting ability, but maybe because of their appearance or just what they were asking price wise. I don't know. Uh, I mean, yeah. Depp was, was cast for his appearance. Well, I, I believe it was Wes Craven's daughter, like insisted that he was in the movie. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> like worked out for him. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. All right. I, I'll, I'll throw a question out here. Uh, since I'm, I'm always kind of baffled, I hear that, you know, it was like a big get for them to have Ronnie Blakely play Marge Thompson, Nancy's mom. And yet, when I watch her performance, I can't tell if it's her performing badly, if it's how the character's written, but something about the first half of the movie and her performance is beyond wooden to me. Is it intentional, bad acting? What do you guys think? Or do you not even think it's wooden? 
Well, I will say that I think that Ronnie Blakely's performance is my favorite out of the entire series. And I do think it was on, it is on purpose because like, you know, she's has this secret and her drinking is like, like escalates throughout the, the movie as like, you know, her daughter is like, Oh, this guy is in my dreams. And like, she just starts drinking to like, you know, she's got alcohol in the closet. It's like, it's like daytime. I think there was like a scene where she's at breakfast, like in the first 30 minutes and it just like escalates yeah. more and more. And then like, you know, to the point where, um, Nancy, Heather Lane camp's character comes home and there's all the bars on the windows and she's just like, look, 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 like she's like the menacing one. It was, uh, yeah, it's, it was, it's my favorite performance. Cause it's so like, like out there and, and almost not feeling. Are you talking about like when she comes out like in her bathroom? Well, there's that scene, yeah, where she just has a straight bottle, like, like, yeah. Yes, that's my yeah. favorite part of her. Yeah, and so it's like an escalation. So I think you know it. It was a very like weird performance, um, and I think it was, and that's what I liked about it. And also the ending of it is so like it. It doesn't really make sense, but it's so odd. And um, and I was kind of disappointed that, uh, to my knowledge, I didn't see Ronnie Ronnie Blakely come back in any of the other movies, though she's mentioned a couple times. But all right, I, in I, my opinion, Kent, it's yeah. you know how they say show don't tell. Sure. It feels like they they were like trying to tell somebody, okay, this is what we want you to show, but we don't want you to be like blatant and out there and over the top. And then she just wasn't able to actually do that. So, so that's the performance that we got. I, yeah, I, I feel that she got way more comfortable. Like, but after like the second half, she was way more comfortable in the alcoholic role than she was the first half to me. And it would have made a lot of her performance would have made sense if it was, you know, in the dream state, because then being, <laughs> well, being fugue like and fucking weird and just like, she she it almost like she reacted inappropriate you know like stuff that should have upset her didn't upset her and then stuff that shouldn't have upset her like fucking set her off um but well but welcome to the world of alcoholism real life yeah that's you know what maybe <laughs> yeah. she's just you know a type of alcoholic that i've never encountered so uh i will say this though that the special effect when she gets pulled through the door at the end is fucking i like i love how you can see like the mannequin's legs are like just fucking straight. <laughs> oh, dude. So let's talk about the ending because we, I, I assume I'm sure Kevin knows. I think, you know, Chris, like there was the, what Wes Craven wanted, what Robert Shea wanted. And then like, they end up with like some fucking thing in between. And I think we got the in between ending compromise, right? Yes. And like, how how do you guys interpret it? Do you interpret it as Nancy's dream, as Marge's dream? What the fuck was that? Oh, it's Nancy's dream because that's kind of like where we follow the perspective, I believe. Yeah, because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but in three, you know, all of her friends and her mom are still dead. They, well, I mean... Still, they also said that Marge died on the fucking couch for some shit, and one of them, she died in her bed in another one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the details are really great. <laughs> Which, 
you know, in some ways makes sense. Like, there's the spooky, you know, rumor of how this lady died. So, you know, you can understand why they're kind of mixing and matching. Uh, but we do know that she did die. Um, yeah, I, I think at one point they say she burned to death. And, you know, and then, yeah. and then, you know, Nancy says, I think, to Gene in 3 that, you know, no, he killed my mom. So... So, here's my most recent interpretation of the ending. I, I'm going to say that she was... Her mom didn't die at that final scene. Her mom's dead before that. If we're going to say that that's Nancy's dream, I say that everybody's already dead up to that point, including the mom. Mom died via Freddy or alcoholism. I, I don't know which, but I'm going to say that she's dead long before her mannequin gets pulled through the window. And the, the burning, the Freddy Krueger on top of her in the burning bed, right? Or Freddy's burning on the bed. He gets sunken in. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, they did yeah. say that in yeah. two that she yeah. died in the living room. So I assume that that's kind of where she died was when she right. got pulled through the... <laughs> But you make a good point. I don't think it really it makes sense. I was trying to do that for a while, but like watching the other ones to get Dude, I've spent the past twenty some years or thirty years trying to make sense of that fucking ending and I I, I still can't. Part of part of me wants to circle back to this when we get to like our final conclusions because that I think is a good example of like this series has got some really high highs and it's got some really low lows. <laughs> yes. Um, I gotta say one, one great thing, uh, I meant to say earlier about Ronnie Blakely is the line where she says, but he can't get you now. He's dead, honey, because mommy killed him. That's a great fucking line in horror history. I don't think that gets enough credit, but it's that's terrific. a pretty bad favorite performance line, out of right? all of them. I could, I could, I really could see like Cartman's mom saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could. Um, so, all right, I took a bunch of notes, and one of the notes I want to just bring out is that the song "Nightmare." There's a song. There's quite a few songs in the Nightmare series. At least two or three. They're just strictly called Nightmare. But in part one, the song "Nightmare" is performed by a group called Two One Three, but and that tickled me in a way that I was like, wait a second. That's also the name of a West Coast rap group featuring a young Snoop Dogg, Warren G, and Nate Dogg. So there are two groups of 213. I just felt, you know, throwing this factoid out there for everybody. Huh. Yeah. Well... Thank you for that one. <laughs> well, like we were, we weren't going to work Nate Dog into this podcast any other way, so I had to do it then. I mean, Take my chance. Do you remember which movies Nightmare on My Street came out between? Um, I think that would have been after four, because most people say Part Four is the most MTV nightmare ever, and if you look at the soundtrack, it adds up. So. You're talking. That's the Will Smith Jazzy. Yeah, the Will one, Smith right? and DJ Jazzy. I'm your DJ yeah. now, Princey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's '88. Um, uh, I mean, they're all like a year gosh, apart for I the most so part. But yeah, that's '88. That that's yeah. probably because five they went more serious. But yeah, that makes sense then. So, 
a, a funny quirk. On Voodoo, when you go to load up Nightmare on Elm Street, you get a picture of Jesse from Part 2. They use the exact same image for Part 1 and Part 2. Oh, they have a, they have a Good pack. Job. It's like Good 1 job. and 2 together, uh, so that might be... And then they have them individually, too, but... Yes. Yeah. I I have I have the one through four pack and then but they're on SD and then I upgraded so yeah I don't know what the hell they were doing. Uh, I don't um, know when I just watched it on Voodoo on my phone though, uh, it had the the different covers. Really? Three and I, I watched Wait. it. I watched it three years Voodoo. So, <laughs> but all right. So, hmm, I'm intrigued. I'm I, I'm gonna have to try it on my phone at some point. So. I have another question. I have a bunch of questions because this one prompts the most questions, so I'm not going to apologize at all. Uh, the girls jump roping. We see, I mean, we see the kids playing in girls jump roping in, I think, every single one. Um, do they exist Dream in World, real life I would or are think. they only in Dream World? Or at least that would be the intention of uh, the directors. Uh, I, I think it depends on, on the different... Um, movies, but I think there's a couple scenes in um, some of them, maybe even this one, where it has to be in real life because <laughs> they haven't even started hitting the the dreams yet. You know, and, and the way that some of the actors look at them, it's it's very conflicting because all this time up till this most recent binge watch, I was always like they're just part of the dream world, but now I'm like uh, I was observing like how you know actors were looking at them like. Hmm. I I think there are actually some. There might be some real ones, and most are dream. But I think there are some real ones. And my other question related to the kids: Are they actually singing? Because very rarely, if you look at their lips, they're not singing at all. Uh, yeah, I would. It's like the soundtrack that Freddy uses to scare people in the nightmares. I, I guess is more the question: Are they singing, or is it like Freddy's soundtrack? Uh, I think it's. I think it's them actually singing. I mean, except for the ones where, you know, it's in the dream and it's part of the the soundtrack. But, I mean, there's there's people who reference it outside of the dream, you know, as this nursery rhyme about Freddy. I mean, for sure in 6 and maybe 4, I think. 3 it's referenced, yeah. obviously. Okay. Uh, Kevin, Kevin, did you said they were all just dream, right? Well, I feel, yeah, or it's like a, like, I guess like a cinematic device. I don't want to jump through some of the movie because, you know, there is parts of it where it's the end of the movie and they're not dreaming or like Freddy Krueger died. So I don't really take it as, or even in the first one, if they had their original ending where it was like a happy ending, it was supposed to be the girls jump roping at the end. And I think that was just to like let you know that like Freddy Krueger is still like out there. Like there's still so yeah. I mean, I don't really know. Like uh you know, with with this entire series, it's like you you kinda gotta like pay attention to it to know what's going on, but if you like focus too much on it, then it makes no sense at all. Oh yeah, yeah. No, there, there's and it's fun. It's a lot of fun. It, it's a mind fuck it, but it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, all right. My next question: 
in the eighties, did every single person that wore a leather coat also have a switchblade? Uh, did they all in this? I, <laughs> like in real life? I don't like really. Movie. Yeah, or in every maybe, movie. Maybe in movies, but uh, in real life, like, well, a, I didn't get a leather coat until I was in the nineties, but I never owned a switchblade. So I mean. Take. I'm just talking about movies, quite frankly. Like, horror movies. Just horror movies. I feel like every 80s horror movie, if there's a dude, especially a dude with a black leather jacket, he has a switchblade. I mean, yeah. And yeah, like, it's, or, it's, like, it's very tropey. Or punk. Any movie that has a punk in it, like, in the 80s. You know? Yeah. Like this, I think Star Trek has one where they go to, like, New York. And, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was Star Trek Four. Yeah. We're looking for a wessel. <laughs> um, shit, yeah, I mean, think about that scene in Crocodile Dundee. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not a knife. <laughs> no, that, that's a knife. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's, a, here's a question for you guys. All right. How would you quantify the deaths in this one? What do you mean? Like, how would you compare them to the ones in the other series, the rest of the series? You have... Well, Tina is the first, ahead. right? Yeah, Tina's and, the first. Oh, that one's pretty good. And it's, like, recreated a couple different times later on. Um, or at least once. Uh, uh, yeah, that one. That one's pretty good. And the whole, like, you know, I had no idea that they did the, the movie magic of it with the revolving room that, like, spun around. So she, like, gets on the ceiling... Uh, yeah. And that makes me even more impressed with it. But uh, yeah, I, I thought that one was really cool. Um, the okay, so the the jail scene hanging one. I mean, that's a that's a little cheesy, but that as a kid, that that was pretty creepy to me. But uh, and Johnny Depp, the the blood coming out that freaks me out. And also I knew, so when I saw that, I knew Johnny Depp from 21 jump street, which I loved. So I like, I never expected to see him die or like, you know, and I didn't even want to believe Tom Hansen get fucking murked in like the first, well, I guess three quarters of the movie. Oh, the whole, the blood. And yeah. So that, that really messed with me as, as a kid a lot. Um, now, I mean, it's, it's just cool. I, I like, I liked it. It was, and then um, we'll we'll say uh, at least in a, a dream sequence that uh, Ronnie Blakely dies. Uh, the the fire with Freddy Krueger on fire on her, like going into the bed, was much cooler than the you know Carrie gag, the thing every horror movie had to do since Carrie. But that's that's my take. I would say Tina's death is in the Pantheon, arguably like 10 most famous slasher deaths of all time, death scenes. So, uh, I mean, that that's far above anything else that's in the movie. And it's the first one, which uh, I, I think is a good decision, obviously. Rods was, you know, Kevin kind of said it like it was cool, cool like when you're a kid, but as an adult, it's a little bit more. Uh, it, it's one of those things where you sit there and you go, 
How the hell did the cops possibly explain how the hell he did that? Like, there's some deaths that I will definitely bring up later on that you sit there and you you have to go and say, you know, if you were looking at this in a real-life scenario, how the hell are you explaining this particular death? So, Rod's was cool when younger, but now it's just silly. And Depp's was just visually appealing, but it kind of lacked substance for for me. Uh, and Ronnie Blakely's is... Uh, the first aspect of it's cool, the second aspect couldn't be more cheesy, but it's actually way more memorable. So, I, I don't know. If I had to pick one, I, I would actually go with <laughs> Blakely's second death as opposed to her first one, quite frankly, because it's so memorable for being so my, cheesy. My big question about Glenn's death is, like, the cops are like, oh man, I've never seen anything like that. I want to be like, there's no body. Like, yeah, of course, all you see is blood. Like, what are you guys fucking thinking happened to this kid in his bed? There's four times the amount of human blood in this room, and you're... Yeah, yeah. no, you haven't seen that? Because how did this one teenage boy have that much blood? Not only that, but, like, what ha- did somebody throw, like, a fucking giant-sized blender under his back? I mean, like, like, what Absolutely. happened to get rid of all of the... The actual like mass of you know bone and flesh and hair. There's and stuff. a giant hole in the bed too when they're like coming to the house, right? Like there's the, yeah, you know, it's not just like yeah, it, it was still yeah. there. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, it's you know yeah, before the they had forensic files and it's Ohio cops in the eighties, I guess. So I think it's I give it a pass. I mean, um, yeah, one thing I want to bring up. Um, and I heard this, and it wasn't about movies, it was about books, but it, it relates really well, is that the the first part of any series isn't really a part of the series. Um, because, like, this one, for example, they could do whatever. You know, they weren't beholden to canon, or what had come before. You know, or they didn't have to try to worry about continuity, because... You know, when they were originally making it, they didn't know that it was going to become, you know, an eight, nine movie series. Whereas, you know, part two, part three, part four, part five, they have to look back at what's come before and they have to possibly somehow try to fit that within there. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Um, Here's a question. If Nancy doesn't have the crucifix in the very beginning when Freddy's like kind of coming through the wall, that that scene, is it possible that Nancy would have been the first victim? That's in Tina's bedroom, right? Yeah, yeah. When there's yeah before Tina gets got, like Freddy's kind of like pushing through, and you know Nancy just like seconds ago had grabbed the crucifix, and I I don't know. It's just like. Did that make any impact whatsoever? Uh, I mean, I don't, I really don't think so because I don't see him being stopped by holy ground. Yeah. Well, I didn't see him being stopped by a mirror because he was in fucking mirrors in part three, but by the time we get to part four, he stopped by a fucking mirror. So yeah, I I don't know. (laughs) But with that being said, all right. Um, here, here's a tidbit I noticed. When Nancy comes down for breakfast, sees the news thing on Tina, 
like they show Tina in the body bag and her arm just flops out of the body bag, which you know, you would never see that in the news. But then they basically recreate that when they do the infamous hallway scene. Tina's getting dragged and all of a sudden her arm flops out of the freaking body bag again. And I was like, I never noticed that they did that twice in the same movie, but it was kind of funny to me. Yeah. (laughs) Good notice. (laughs) There's weird things that are going on in this movie that if you sit there and really analyze it, there's a lot of... uh, I, I mean, all right, how are the cops going to explain Rod perfectly slashing Tina when he has just one blade, when clearly it's four blades happening all at the same time, perfectly symmetrical? I mean, Rod doesn't strike me as a guy that's very precise. Uh, I mean, so. all it would take would be Dexter to figure out that like the blood spatter in no way was coming because he was slashing her. But uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, 80, I mean, 84 Ohio. And also, it's like the premise like is said. that, like, what, adults are kind of like the idiots because they're the ones that don't believe any of the kids that any of this is real, even though they kind of, and like, you know, at least for the parents, they like do know that there is some, there is something to it. There is a Freddy Krueger. Oh, you mean like six of you are all having dreams about the same burn-ass fucking serial killer that we murdered, you know, 18 years ago? Oh, no, no, that's not going to happen. That's not real. You're just... No. Here, we're going to fucking... Ruining my life. That's right. Um, did anybody notice that... So when Nancy goes to visit Rod, he they, the police, they gave him a shirt to wear, but they never bothered to wash the blood off his fist. Didn't notice. So clearly he got washed up, but he still has bloody fists. It's just a weird thing. I don't know. Uh, all right, Evil Dead. I mean, I'm guessing you both know that it was Evil Dead that was on TV when that Nancy was watching. Back then, is that even possible? Would Evil Dead have been on TV? It came out in '81, and this movie was made in '80. Three or eighty four came out in eighty four, so you know probably eighty three. So would that? Even I think HBO was a thing then. Yeah, I mean, it definitely would have been on HBO. Um, okay. Maybe, maybe on like late night cable kind of stuff. You know, edited. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm just saying. Like back then, it seemed like it took much longer for like a movie from theater to hit TV than it, nowadays. It seems like. You know, that can happen within a year, but I don't know. It felt like it took a lot longer when I was a kid, but maybe I was a very impatient child. Well, it, it definitely took longer. I mean, because shit, that was even before, well, I guess it wasn't before video, but, you know, video used to have, I think, a nine month, six month minimum, something like that. And, you know, yeah. that was one of the big arguments that, like, they were making during the COVID thing. You know, like Tom Cruise was finding to to keep the window, you know, longer for theatrical releases versus, you know, uh, I think they, 90 days is typically what it is now. And they were pushing for, you know, 60 kind of, uh, just recently. Yeah. That was a big thing. Um, you know, go back to what we were just talking about, how the parents knew and stuff. I, I like that. You know, like Nancy's parents know about Freddie. They know, like, what their daughter's describing. They're still like, 
No, you really need to go to the sleep study. That's what's going to fix you, right? I, I, I don't understand. Like, at that point, it, I don't know. Would you go through all that just to... I don't, I don't even think it's playing dumb. I think it's just Well, denial is like a really, point, you know, is a hell of a thing, yeah. you know? It's like not even like there's like a fine line between like lying or like being in denial of something. Yeah, it it would be one thing if it was one of those movies where like the parents were typically innocent and they just had no clue what was going on. Then yes, sending your kids to a sleep study makes sense. But when you're having, and I guess not so much in this one because Nancy's really the only one we see talking to the adults. But you know, further on, especially in like three, four, and five, you know, when people know, you know, that this is a multiple you know, delusion, whatever you want to call it, happening to multiple kids who are all describing the same thing. And then there are people who know that this, you know, person actually existed, was murdered, never brought to justice. You know, like it's, it stretches your mind past the, the belief that people could just write this off as, you know, something going on, like, especially in three, you know, all Nancy would have to do would be to show them the fucking, newspaper articles and be like, how do these kids know about this fucking real person who existed and they're all having dreams about the same fucking person? Right. Uh, so at the sleep study, am I the only one that was sitting there going, if that nurse or like doctor went home, like what they just witnessed, because they know nothing else. They just know this girl comes in with some sleep issues. She just went way off the radar because they said five or six was a little wacky. She rated a fucking 30 towards the end. But when she walks in, she has normal hair. She walks away with gray hair, uh, a nasty cut on her arm, and she came out of a dream holding a fucking hat. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, like, we could do this with all of them, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, it yeah. is... Don't they just kind of, like, cut right after that like she wakes up with the hat and then it just kind of like cuts to a different scene so that you like you don't think about it for too long <laughs> um yeah <laughs> yeah it, it just cracks me up just thinking i don't know like all right nancy fucking went all home alone before well, pre-home alone but like all right you're gonna set up a bunch of booby traps while you have a drunk ass mom and you're not all afraid that your drunk ass mom ain't gonna stumble on something and kill herself and, and we have to remember that she yelled to her dad at 1210 to break down the door in 20 minutes. She, in in the next 10 minutes, talked to her mom, had a conversation with her mom, and set up all those booby traps, then, had, then set her alarm for 10 minutes. So she did a lot of things in 10 minutes. They did not think that one at all through because... Well, maybe Nancy grows up after she dies in part three to be the collector. <laughs> that can explain how she can set up so much fucking shit. I would absolutely love that if somehow they tied that together in some immaculate way. I would, I would be super fucking pumped. Like uh, Nancy's psychological disturbances from Freddy attacking her over the years turn her into a serial killer who goes around <laughs> setting poopy traps in people's house. <laughs> and maybe that is actually how her mom died. Like the exploding light bulb in the living room. Yeah, like catching on fire. You could have a lot of fun with it. it, it 
it uh, I don't know. There, there's there's a lot of funny things. Plus, I mean, not to even mention like all the mistakes. There's a lot of mistakes. I think my favorite one is seeing the crash pad when Nancy goes jumping out and she lands like in the bushes, and you can clearly see the pad that she lands on, uh, or like the coffee pot, all that stuff. Like, there's a lot of funny little ones in this. Uh, I don't know. There, there's just here's the th- uh, all right. All overall, since I know we're dragging on, like. <sighs> I want to ask, if, is this a good movie? I don't even think this is that good of a movie. It's just an enjoyable-as-fuck movie. It, if this was the only movie, though, like, if they never did a franchise, would this movie be remembered nearly as fondly, do you think? I really do, because the idea is probably one of the most compelling ideas in horror that you can come up with, I think. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. With the one place, you know, that you're not safe is your dreams. And that's like the place that you feel safest is when you're asleep, you know, or I, I feel for most of my life. And I mean, to, to go along with that, the fact that, you know, even though it's teenagers and most of them, the fact that he victimizes children rather than adults, you know, that's another big, you know, no, no, that you typically don't see. I mean, even even though these are, you know, like I said, teenagers, you know, it's implied, especially later on, but in part six, especially, you know, that he kills kids too all the fucking time. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we will break it here to help smooth out the podcast integration. And we will be back with episode 40, part two, talking about Freddy's revenge. Nightmare on Elm street, part two. <laughs>